Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. We welcome you today to This Week in the Word, heard at dredhill.podbean.com. And you've joined us when we're beginning a brand new message series entitled Truth for Tough Times. Well, I'm glad you're with us today. This is the episode for Sunday, January 30th, 2022. Now, we're going to be looking at the entire idea of truth for tough times with the title of today's episode, the number one in that series, is True Truth. Now, let me give you a little background, and we won't go into the deep weeds on this. Let's give you a, just an overview of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. These were letters written by the Apostle Paul to his close associate, Timothy. And 1 Timothy was written roughly A.D. 62 to 66, somewhere in that time range. 2 Timothy, shortly after that, was written A.D. 65 to 68. So that gives you a, a basic time frame uh, when these were written, about 30 years after the Lord was crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. So that gives you a time frame within the uh, Christian church when these were written. Now, we know a pretty good bit about Timothy. Timothy is uh, very prominent in the book of Acts. We know that he was a young believer in Lystra, which is modern-day Turkey, and following his mother and grandmother's example, he personally placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. He had a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. He was well-respected by believers in a wide area. We also know that he served with Paul later on a, uh, his missionary journeys. We also know that he was somewhat timid, apparently, and he has stomach issues. What a surprise. If you're timid and you're a pastor, you're going to feel stress, and that's going to create probably some stomach issues. I'm just guessing on that. Um, he, we also know that he was very faithful in discharging his duty to pass on the truth, and he even died a martyr's death in the city of Ephesus, where he was when he received these two epistles from the Apostle Paul. And it was in the 90s AD that he gave his life in his witness for Jesus Christ. You know what? If you are glad that you know Jesus Christ today, you owe a lot to Timothy. Many others too, but he is among the leaders because he passed on the truth. In First and Second Timothy, there is a great underlying emphasis on church leadership, and, and get this, the urgency, capital letters, bold print, the urgency of passing on the truth. Now, notice I didn't say just truth, the truth. Now, in First Timothy, there are some words that you will see repeated over and over, key words, we call them. Guess what? Truth is one of those key words. There's another phrase, these things, and that phrase refers to the truth. 
the actual true Christian doctrine. We see the key word charge like a command of Timothy being given a command and he is to command others. We see the word teach and we see the word good. Those are just a few of the key words in 1 Timothy. Now, those words are opposed to things such as myths, genealogies, and bad or or wrong living and error. You know, we live in a day where we will hear the phrase from time to time, well, that may be your truth, but it's not my truth. Wow, doesn't that sound so neat? Well, no. (laughs) In realville, in reality, there's just truth, period. How you feel about it or respond to it is pretty irrelevant. The truth just is. You know, if you were about to grab a hold with both hands of a loose electrical wire, and I was were to say to you, hey, it wouldn't be smart to grab that loose electrical wire, and you said back to me, well, that may be your truth, but it's not my truth. And then you proceed to grab it, you're probably going to quickly know the truth. <laughs> you're going to experience an electrifying event. But why? Because the electricity flowing in that loose wire, it didn't care what you thought about it. It was just true. And it doesn't depend on what you thought about it. So there is true truth. Francis Schaeffer was a great apologist or defender for the Christian truth. I don't know if you can hear that helicopter in the background, but I think they're coming for me. Anyway, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book, Escape from Reality, but he may be the one who coined the term true truth. And this is a quote for something he said regarding true truth, that we as believers in Christ, we as a Christian church are to stand for truth and to be people of truth, where telling the truth is becoming a revolutionary act. (laughs) Think about that. Now, he wrote this, I think, in the 60s, so imagine what Dr. Schaefer would say today. Now, in his book, Escape from Reason, he battles what we will call relativism. And that's that idea that I said earlier about, well, that may be your truth, but that's not my truth. That's relativism. And he battled the idea that a statement or belief without any reality or logic or investigation is automatically equally as valid as what is known to be fact-based truth. That is a crazy world to live in, and that's the world we're living in today. We need truth for tough times. Os Guinness said this, ultimately, however, truth is a matter of theology, not philosophy. For Christianity recognizes that Jesus is the truth. Now, we're going to see some concepts as we go through 
1 Timothy, and we're, we're about to get to the Bible here, so hang on with me. Here's, here's at least five. There may be more. These are five that I thought of. True truth exists. Well, I don't agree with that. Well, I don't care if you agree with it. True truth exists. All right? Number two, true truth is from God. Number three, true truth matters. Number four, true truth saves us. And number five, true truth matures us. It grows us. Now, the idea of true truth is not really just an idea. Truth has a name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is truth embodied. Boom! Jesus said about himself in John 14, verse 6. Listen to this. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus clearly claims to be the truth. That is, true truth, objective, fact-based, reality, truth. All right. Now that you've mastered that, and I know that's a lot to uh, think about if you don't normally think in those terms or talk in those terms, but Hopefully you understand what I'm saying. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now, what we're going to do as we go through today, we're going to go all the way through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy the same way, a few verses at a time, and we will focus on the meaning of some of the words so we understand what this truth is. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 4, let's go to verse 1. Now, let me say this first. When a letter was written in these times in the Roman Greek world, unlike we do today, we sign our name at the end, and if you don't look at the end of the letter, you might not know who it's from (laughs) until the end. But in that day, their name, the writer, would go first so you knew who wrote you the letter, okay? Verse 1 in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, so we know he wrote this letter, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Did you know that the apostle Paul had constant opponents, constant criticism and critics not only outside the church, but from within the church about him being an apostle. You remember, he was not one of the original 12, but Christ called him, obviously, we know that from the book of Acts, and made him an apostle. And he witnessed the resurrected Christ, right? And and when Christ appeared to him. So Paul, an apostle, that is a, an ambassador, like a hand-picked representative of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior. And I like that phrase. You know, by the way, it wasn't Paul's idea to be a, an apostle. God made that decision by the commandment of God, right? 
God our Savior. Too many times people fear God as their judge, and he will be their judge if they refuse Christ and enter eternity without Jesus Christ. But here we see that he's God our Savior. God wants to redeem and save or rescue everyone who will turn to him in faith, right? He doesn't want to condemn people. In fact, we're born condemned, and God has been on a massive, gigantic rescue operation to save those who will trust Jesus Christ. So we see that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and it wasn't his idea. It was by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Now, uh, once I heard some teaching by Dr. Spiro Zodiades, and he made this point. Where we read here, uh, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, that word and is chi in Greek. And it can mean and, but it can also mean even. So let me reread that way. By the commandment of God our Savior, even Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So it could even mean here that not only is it God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, but that God our Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. You follow what I'm saying there? Don't worry about it if you don't, but that's very interesting. Now notice here, it says, which is our hope? This is a this is a certitude, a confidence that we have because Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is our confidence, our assurance, our certitude that we will be saved, right? Isn't that neat? I love that. Now, notice here, He says in verse 2, unto Timothy my own son in the faith. And it's the idea of my own true son in the faith. What this is saying here is that he's, it's Paul writing the letter. He's writing it to Timothy, and he regards him very specially as the one that he has poured his life into, my own true son in the faith. He has discipled and mentored Timothy. It's like uh, uh, Timothy was in his Bible study group, his discipleship group, and Paul helped him grow up in his maturity in Christ after he came to faith. So unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Now, this is beautiful. This is a very common uh, salutation at this time in the Roman Greco world. Grace mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. But let's go back to those three words, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, I could give you the theological definition, but if you've been around church, if you're a believer in Christ, you've already heard this a hundred times, all right? Let me say it a different way. Grace is the graciousness of God toward us who do not deserve it. We are hopeless sinners without him. But God shows his graciousness to us, and that's what Paul wishes for Timothy, the graciousness of God. And 
God's mercy. Mercy is pity or compassion. You know, I've noticed as we're sliding into tougher and tougher times, woo, amen? I mean, when you're starting to go to the grocery store and there's not very much food on the grocery store shelf and you don't live on a farm where you grow your own food, I'm glad to know that Jesus Christ has graciousness toward us, but he also has pity and compassion. Can I get an amen? When you are verbally and sometimes physically assaulted for not going along with the the flow of the world system on whatever current rage is going on, you know, like lockdowns and epidemics and all these kind of things, it's good to know that God, our Father, has pity and compassion on us, isn't it? And peace. That is just a state of, you know, not not like a detached from reality thing, but you, you see the reality, but you have comfort and uh, bliss. It might be a good word. Not because of what's going on around you, but because of whose you are. You're God's. Amen. So Paul wishes these things to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace. And notice where they come from. They don't come from Paul. They come from God. From God, our, it doesn't say Savior here like it did in verse 1, does it? It says what? From God, our Father. You know, people who study children and families a long time ago arrived at the realization, or we're talking like 5,000 years ago, <laughs> arrived at the realization of what a powerful impact for good a good father has on his children. Good fathers raise children who can handle living in tough times. But when a father is a bad father, it damages those children. You know, in human families, when a father is completely absent. Maybe a child has been abandoned by his father or never even knew his father. Hey, people, look around today. People are nuts today. And a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of it goes right back to terrible fathers or absent fathers or evil or brutal fathers. Now, that's not to say everyone's father's been like that, but too many children and teenagers are scarred for life because of the type of father or even a lack of father that they experienced. Well, you know, God's not like that. God gives us grace, mercy, and peace, and it's from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, use that same thing that Dr. Zodiades pointed out, as I showed you in verse 1. And by the way, Greek 
was his native language. So please do not challenge me on this. <laughs> he didn't just learn Greek. He was Greek, all right? And he was an expert on Koine Greek from these times. Read it again. From God our Father, even Jesus Christ our Lord. You realize if it, if it reads that way, do you realize what that is saying? That Jesus Christ, obviously he's the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the second person of the Trinity, but he's as much God as the Father or as the Holy Spirit. He's not a good man or a prophet or a great teacher. Jesus Christ is God. And notice here in verse 1, it said, Jesus Christ, which is our hope. But here it says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is one who is a master, one who is in charge and able to give commands, right? That's what a master does. Wow. Now, let me show you why that's important. In verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes here under the inspiration of the Spirit. Uh, so he's writing to Timothy. In verse 3, he says, As I besought thee, as he, he urged him, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, there is so much loaded into verse 3, I've got to break it down for you. Uh, here we go. We're going to unpack it right here. So, we're going to see right here in verses 3 and 4, a key reason, a huge reason, why Paul wrote this epistle to Timothy and why we need to hear it today as well. Verse 3, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. So he was to remain there, not go with Paul or go somewhere else. Stay at Ephesus uh, when I went into Macedonia. So he urged him to do that, and Timothy did it. Now why? Verse 3, see that that thou mightest, or that's the purpose, that thou mightest charge some, and that word means, um, I'm going to say what it means. It means to order them, to command them, to, um, you know, declare, hey, this is, boom, and he lays it out, that thou mightest charge some. And the idea here, when you go back into the Greek language, is it's, it's like Paul was saying, I want uh, I, uh, that thou mightest charge you know who, or that you that thou mightest charge particular people, like you know who I'm talking about, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. The Greek word for uh, the phrase teach no other doctrine means a, a heterodoxy, right? Orthodoxy is straight doctrine. Heterodoxy dox, <laughs> doxy would be other doctrines, errant doctrines, different doctrines, different teachings. 
So go back and let's read it again. Why, why did Paul tell Timothy, you stay at Ephesus, here's why. What he wanted him to do is to just lay it flat out and not care what they thought about it, just charge some that they teach no different doctrine. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say what we might call it today, false doctrine. There's true doctrine, true truth, and there's false doctrine, or what somebody might say, my truth. All right, you get it? So this is the the command, the orders, like a soldier, the orders that Timothy has from his immediate superior, which is Paul. Uh, maybe it's like a lieutenant colonel telling a, you know, a captain, I'm leaving you at Ephesus. These are your orders. Hey, I come from a military family from way back. I never served, but my father was a career soldier. I raised a Marine. My brother was an army officer in Vietnam. And you know what? I had the privilege when I was a pastor at one of my churches outside Fort Benning a lot of people in my church were uh, 3rd Ranger Battalion Rangers. There was 3rd uh, Infantry Division Soldiers. Just a lot of people that were uh, active duty military and a lot of veterans too and a lot of retired military. Everybody in that church would have understood what I just said. If you're given an order, you better get to it. This was Timothy's or These were Timothy's orders. He was, whoever was teaching this different doctrine other than the doctrine that Christ had delivered, they were to be confronted and corrected. This would not be easy. Trust me on that. Verse four, it gets worse. Even more was going on. Not only were they teaching other doctrines, and not Christian doctrine, but neither give heed to fables. These are myths, like just stories. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. What is that? Well, that would be like uh, a lot of these people in the early church had Jewish roots, right? It would be like trying to determine who their ancestors were and what you know, special standing that gave them with God. Well, you know what? It didn't give them any standing. Why? Because God has no grandchildren, so to speak. You and I need to be saved. It doesn't matter what our great-grandpappy did. <laughs> we need to be saved. We need to grow in our faith with Christ and our walk with Christ. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions. That is like just no end to the speculations that can create. So they're not to do that, and he's to command them not to do that. Well, what are they to do? Verse At the end of verse four, we see it. Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So that what they should have been doing is using the true truth from God to build people up in their Christian faith and help them grow in strength for Christ rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. 
So they weren't doing that because they were too busy teaching other idiotic doctrines which were not Bible doctrines and dealing with um, myths and genealogies and, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff instead of emphasizing the true truth of Scripture. So this is what he is to correct. I mean, one of the many things he's to correct there. And Paul says at the end of verse 4, so do. Like, those are your orders. Do it. Is there anything that we don't understand about that? No. Pretty clear. So let's remind ourselves today as we close out, and we're almost done, we're looking at the overall series, True Truth for Tough Times. We're going to go all the way through First and Second Timothy, verse by verse. And today we've seen true truth. There is true truth. There's no such thing as my truth. There's only God's truth. I want that to sink in. If you are wandering around in confusion about what is the truth, hey, get over yourself. It's easy. It's God's truth in his scriptures. And even more wonderful than that, it's embodied in Jesus Christ. Truth has a name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is truth embodied. If you want to know truth, Know Jesus. As I reminded you, or as I said earlier, let me remind you again, John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You will not get to the truth, Jesus, through Buddhism or uh, yoga, which is, don't tell me it's exercise. It's not. It has always been religious exercises. Let's put it like that. Pagan religious exercises. You're not going to get to the truth through, uh, you know, psychological counseling and anything we can make up. Truth is found in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know that with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know for certain how your eternity will turn out. You don't have to wonder. Instead of continuing to follow Satan and being condemned eventually to an eternal hell, you know, we're, we're born into following Satan, and if we don't get off that track, we're going to follow him right into hell, a literal hell that Jesus spoke about. Well, you can get off that uh, hell train, and I say that reverently, and you can follow Jesus Christ and be welcome into heaven and eternity with God and miss hell completely and end up in heaven. Isn't that great? Hey, write this phone number down. This will be the greatest phone call you ever made. 877-247-2426. One more time. 877-247-2426. Call that number. Someone will speak with you about your questions or your desire to become a Christian today. You can even go to chataboutjesus.com. You know, in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. You're not special. <laughs> You're a sinner like everybody. We're born into it. 
Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Oh, man. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Romans 10 verse 13 it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I hope you will do that today. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of This Week in the Word. I hope it has been a blessing to your heart. You've learned something. You've been inspired. You've been encouraged. And I hope you will like this episode. And if you like what you heard, follow the podcast and be notified every week when a brand new episode is posted. Share this with somebody right from where you're listening. Let them know about This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com. Thanks so much. I'll be looking to speak with you on the next episode. Bye-bye.